Hello everyone and welcome to the Constructed Criticism Network. This network is here to help you improve in Magic the Gathering at every level. From popper leagues to top 1000 mythic, we've got you covered. If you want to hear the entire network, head on over to our sponsor at puremtgo.com where you can hear each and every show, each and every week, and check out their sponsor, MDGO Traders, and tell them that the CCMTG Network sent you. Now sit back, enjoy the show, from YouTube, podcasts, and more, here's this week's episode from ConstructedCriticism.com. Hello, everyone. It is, we're going to say, 11.40 a.m. on Wednesday, October the 14th, 2020. We are recording uncharacteristically early this week because I'm ending my work week uncharacteristically early to deal with some family things, some, some home things. we got doctor's appointments and stuff going on. But... It just means an early rendition of our trip down the homeward path. And I've got a few... My name is Adam, and I've got a few questions to ask you. Are you a fan of Magic the Gathering? Obviously so, since you're here listening to the show. But is there something in your everyday life that takes precedence over Magic? I mean, most of us have something, right? Partner, children ruling job or career there's obviously a difference but you know whatever the case may be are you still trying to improve at magic despite all of these external forces pulling you away from it not allowing it to be like the top priority in your life if so then i hope your hand is empty because i am hell bent on bringing you some content but before we do that, let's look at the three B's of budgeting, brewing, and breaking bad habits once we get the shilling out of the way. Uh, a reminder that we are brought to you by PureMTGO.com. PureMTGO is one of the largest repositories of magic content on the web. There is just a lot of good stuff about a lot of different things. They've got things and they've got stuff on that website. Uh, their sponsor, MTGO Traders, is who I use for Magic Online. It is infinitely cheaper than, well, I mean, anybody because sponsorship, but even when I was using them without sponsorship, I was I was a fan. They're one of the first people, one of the first vendors that I went to when I started playing Magic Online again in like 2017 before my laptop crashed. And they were the first place I thought of when I fired Magic Online back up before I got the sponsorship. When I was planning on devoting some subsection of my Magic budget that currently doesn't exist to Magic Online. With that and you know, while we're talking about things that happen online, you can head over to our parent network at constructedcriticism.com. I mean, I don't know what to tell you, other than there's the possibility that we are going to get Arena Mythic cast back, so there will be even more content on both Pure MTGO and Constructed Criticism, and it would behoove you to check it out. And while you're checking stuff out, if you like what I'm doing, enough to help me keep doing it directly, without using any kind of middle person in the middle, that was a little redundant, kind of like the card choices we were talking about last week bang you can head over to patreon.com slash homeward path mtg this show is always going to be free 
But if you like what I'm doing enough to help me keep doing it, you can make your pledge, take advantage of your rewards, and become a Homeward Pathfinder. So with that all out of the way, let's dive into our Budget Spotlight this week. And we're adding a new piece to Budget Spotlight. Because I've been pretty consistently doing four cards anyway. I've decided to start doing an uncommon, a rare, a mythic, and a commander spotlight. Either a card that is good as a commander or a card that is good in commander as the last card every week. And this week, our uncommon is Rakdos Charm at the whopping price of 50 cents a copy. Rakdos Charm, 50 cents a copy. In 60-card formats, this card grants two different kinds of key disruption in one card. Artifact Removal and Graveyard Hate. And I know it's got another mode, but 9 times out of 10, that's those are the two things you're using it for. You're boarding it in to supplement your existing Graveyard Hate packages or your existing Artifact Hate packages. And the fact that you get the same, the same card can pull both jobs is a really big deal. It's a Culligan's Command that just hits a little different. And sometimes, yes, you will cheese out the Elves player who barfs half their library onto the table and you just get to kill them. You know, respond to Shaman of the Pack by going, kill you. But how is it going to kill you? No, you die first. It fills similar roles in Commander, but Mode 3 can also punish eager tokens players. You know, if you're having a nice, fair Commander game and you're playing a Grixis Commander or a four-color that includes blue, red, black. And your one of your opponents gets frisky and decides to put 40 tokens on the board and say it's in the name of defense. You can tell them they've been defending the wrong thing. You can mystical tutor up your Rakdos charm and kill them. Which is pretty sweet. And do some in- incidental damage to other players along the way. That mode can also link arms nicely with uh, Seagate Stormcaller and other cards of that nature that will allow you to copy it. If you end up using that mode twice, you can double up and still kill people off of Tamer boards. It's just a really good, neat little card to have access to. And it's, you know, it's kind of like your American Express card. You never leave home without it. Or the... Never sit down at the commander table without it if you're playing Rakdos. It's just Rakdos plus other colors, whatever. It's just thoroughly reasonable. At Rare, we're talking about Dreadhorde Butcher. For for those of you who don't know, it is a red and a black for a 1-1. Haste. Trample, I believe. Genuinely can't remember. I believe it's Trample Haste. I know it's Haste. Uh, when it deals combat damage to a planeswalker or player, put a plus one plus one counter on it, and when it dies, uh, dish out you, you deal damage equal to its power to any target. This card applies a ton of pressure, forcing your opponent to answer it and answer it early. Depending on when it's answered, it can also add synergy to other cards. For example, if you're attacking during your turn, your opponent fires off the shock or disfigure to kill it while it's eat while it's early. If you've managed to untap with it or if you didn't draw it till turn three, 
chip in. They're like, oh, I'd rather kill that and not let it get out of hand. We'll go ahead and shock it now. We'll go ahead and disfigure it now. We'll go ahead and throw this 3-3 in front of it now. That's fine. Because we're going to ping you for one and cast light up the stage. Or we're going to ping you for one and be able to cast uh, Spawn of Mayhem. Or, we're, you know, the synergy is there depending on when it's dealt with. Which is really sweet. In Commander, it combines well with commanders like Evoxa, which gives all your creatures unleash. You're not planning on blocking with this thing anyway. And making it bigger before it starts connecting is a real good place to start with a card like this that's going to get bigger every time it hits them anyway. It also plays well with cards like Call the Death Dweller or uh, Agadim's Awakening, Gruesome Menagerie. Like, there are a few things I can I can think of that would be more horrifying than you reviving with like a gruesome menagerie, you revive Bomac Courier, Dreadhorde Butcher, Legion Warboss. That just sounds horrifying to deal with. That seems like nothing I want any part of trying to fight with. You serve in for three, get card advantage, chip in, like you know things are getting worse next turn. You got to deal with it. And you probably just already dealt with it. You probably thought you were done dealing with it. But no. At Mythic, we got Rakdos's Return at $1.50. Uh, for those of you who don't know what this is, it is a Mythic Sorcery. For a black, a red, and X, deal X damage to target player. That player discards X cards. This is a mind twist. Let's let's not make any two bones about it. That's what this card is. It's mind twist. It is exactly mind twist. You are ripping a bunch of cards out of their hand. The damage is ancillary and like you're interested in it, but that's not why you're playing this card. You're playing this card because it's a mind twist. And Mind Twist can turn a fair game on its head very quickly. You are looking to use this as an X for one. It's, it's the Rakdos version of uh, Sphinx's Revelation. It's the anti-Sphinx's Revelation. Instead of drawing me a bunch of cards and gaining me a bunch of life and fortifying my position, I'm just going to rip yours apart. That's what I'm here to do. that's good like you know mind twist it, it's a card that doesn't see play in legacy or vintage obviously but it's a card that can dominate a game that has been kind of fair and back and forth and based on incremental similar to control decks drawing a bunch of cards in the middle of a game ripping your opponent's hand apart in the middle of the game and putting them in top deck mode while applying a little bit of pressure to their life total like this thing for three is real strong. And even as a mind rot that deals two damage, it's it's not embarrassing. It takes a little bit of work to get it as efficient as similar cards in other in in older printings that have more of a finite 
ceiling but a higher floor a higher floor cards like blightning that only ever deal three damage and make them discard two cards but in the case of blightning it does a really good job forcing the opponent to uh just they gotta they gotta have it they gotta they gotta play carefully they gotta be ready and last but not least, our Commander Spotlight is Rakdos, Lord of Riots at $5. And one of the advantages to Commander as a format is not needing more than one copy. So a $5 card becomes a lot more reasonable in Commander. And Rakdos, Lord of Riots in particular is a neat one because it's a really, really good Commander in its own right. This card says uh, black, black, red, red, 6-6, six, six, flying trample. Black, black, red, red, 6-6, six, six, flying trample. Uh, can only be cast if an opponent has lost life this turn. And the trade-off is that your creature spells cost one generic less to cast for each life an opponent has lost this turn. That doesn't say for each life target opponent has lost this turn. For each life one opponent has lost this turn. That says for each life lost by an opponent this turn. So in Commander, that counts. You know, if you make every other player lose one life, or, you know, tap a spear spewer, everybody takes one damage. Well, that turns on Rakdos, you can cast it. And now your creatures cost three less because everybody else lost a life. Yuck. So you can drop a Harvester of Souls for three mana. Get one more ping in, everything, all your big stuff costs basically nothing. It's, it's absurd. Cost reduction effects are powerful. It's objectively the most powerful, or the most flavorful, sorry, can't read my own writing. The most flavorful Rakdos Commander requesting a linear setup, but a wide, open-ended payoff. What I mean by that is, you're looking for a very specific framework to fit this card into. You want to play similar things that you would to enable Spectacle. Effects that cause opponents to lose life easily sitting on the table. But the trade-off is you don't necessarily have to be built all the way around those mechanics. You just need enough of them to trigger Rakdos so that you can cast it. And in the case of Rakdos, Lord of Riots, this card can be as broken or as fair as you want. You can use it to just plop a lot of power and toughness onto the table make your opponent deal with stuff. You can use it to enable game-breaking combos in black and red. You know, the world is your oyster. You know, Micaeus the Unhallowed becomes a lot easier to cast. So does Murderous Redcap, so you can do, you can set up those two plus uh, A sacrifice outlet to just go off and kill the table or you can leverage them in a different way and make use of I mean there's a lot of stuff to look at with this with this card that is really 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 good 
There's also a lot of stuff you can look at with this card that's like totally fine. And you're fine, you know, you're fine to use, but it's not going to make you the enemy of the table either. This and probably the best reason to love this card, $5 especially, is it's freaking Rakdos. When I was when I was first learning to play Magic, when I was younger playing through the original Ravnica block, Rakdos the Defiler was one of my favorite cards even though it was stone cold awful. Because it's just so cool. It's so flavorful. It embodies the character of the Rakdos guild so perfectly. And Lord of Riots does that to 11. But, moving on into segment two, we've got our brew of the week. And this week we're going to be talking again more about a concept than a specific list after the wild deep dive that was last week. And we're changing formats. Because as I mentioned, I am looking more into the eternal as I get older and wiser. Uh, and this week's brew concept of the week is Rakdos Agro for Historic. Now, it's an excellent choice if you're looking for a proactive package that will prematurely punish opponent's plans. The aggressive core can go light or fast, or it can go light and fast, or it can go big and powerful. If you go light and fast, you're looking at a lower overall mana curve, more haste, and a faster goldfish draw. I.e., you're looking to kill them as quickly as humanly possible. You're not looking to mess around with value. You're not looking to mess around with drawing cards. You're not looking to mess around with, like, trying to take your two-for-ones where you can. You're just looking to put as much power and toughness on the board as early in the game as possible and make them have an out. Make them deal with you. Cards like Robber of the Rich, Light Up the Stage, and Luris can make up your card disadvantage that you're going to suffer while you're trying to get on the board and get them dead. And in particular, a Luris-based Rakdos aggro deck as opposed to the more traditional Luris deck for Historic, which is Rakdos Midrange, uh, Rakdos Pyromancer, is particularly appealing because when you're buying back creatures like Dreadhorde Butcher, Robber of the Rich, uh, Serrated Scorpion, Scorch Spitter, uh, Soulscar Mage, and you're buying those creatures back, even if you're just playing like Luris alongside the mono, like mono red burn with Luris. Excuse me. Buying back Soulscar Mage to turn on Wizard's Lightning. Buying back Vaishino Pyromancer to ping them for two and turn on Wizard's Lightning or enable the skewer the critics in your hand. It all adds up. Like buying back. Get to Lava Runner, chip in for two, turn on Wizard's Lightning. Enable the light up the stage in your hand, which may find more burn spells. Even something like that, a light and fast red aggro deck that splashes black in order to play Luris, falls under this heading. Because frankly, in a matchup between this one and the mirror, you have more of the capacity to interact with your opponent in a longer game because your opponent spending cards to deal with your creature instead of going to your head 
is like card advantage for you, even though you're not built around it. You know, every card your opponent spends to kill a creature is a card they don't spend going upstairs. And then a card like uh, Call the Death Dweller can be an absolute backbreaker in the Burn Mirror because they spend these cards to deal with your creatures. They they spend a shock or a, a wizard's lightning or a lightning strike on Lurus instead of it going upstairs, and then you just call Lurus back and then play another one drop. Whatever the case may be, if you're going with a light and fast approach with Rakdos Aggro, you get mileage out of playing the black. Even if you're not playing much of it. But the further you dip your toe in, the more interesting it gets because you get access to cards like Dreadord Butcher. Cards like, uh, what is it? Robber of the Rich. Cards like Fireblade Artist. Cards like uh, Gutter Bones, Diagraph Ghoul, which allow you to apply more pressure as creatures. They're, they're better holding an Ember Cleave if you go down that route instead of playing Lurus. Whatever the case may be, they're cards that do a really good job of applying lots of pressure for not a lot of mana. And that's what you're in for when you're trying to build aggro. So they're they're very it's a very customizable core, even within the realm of just a light, fast Rakdos aggro. By contrast, the big and powerful side of it, you're still adopting a proactive stance, you're still playing some number of one drops, but you're more interested in powerful two drops, powerful three drops powerful four drops and even sometimes powerful five drops think the red black chain whirler deck at the height of its prowess pun intended in standard you know with part of Kieran and Hazaret and Glorybringer and all of that you can almost play that deck in historic because we've got Canyon Slough to help turn on Dragon Skull Summit but we've also got Blood Crypt to turn it on between Canyon Slough, Dragon Skull Summit, Blood Crypt, like uh, Triomes, if we want to play those over Canyon Slough, in order to splash off colors out of the board, Temples to fix car, you know, fix the top of the deck, whatever. We've got access to the ability to play Chain Whirler in a two-color deck. If that's something you want to do. But at its core, Big and Powerful favors the time-honored tradition of playing the largest creatures with the most words at every point on the curve. For example, Soulscar Mage is a really good example of an efficient creature with a lot of words on it. Because it's got prowess, and it has the thing where your burn spells become permanent if they're aimed at creatures. And interact favorably with... Uh, like damage prevention effects or anything like that because you prevent the damage anyway it's just really good it's just really really good but cards like Goblin Chain Whirler has uh, Rekindling Phoenix Hazret the Fervent Bonecrusher Giant Glorybringer link arms with your black disruption and removal wherein as opposed to the, the light and fast aggro deck where you're looking to play a lot of burn spells, maybe a little bit of removal, maybe some disruption after sideboarding. In the bigger Rakdos aggro deck, you're looking to play it as like a rule. 
you're disrupting them to slow them down so that your more powerful things can dominate the board state similar to a mid-range deck but more in line with like a big aggro deck you're the aggro deck that beats the other aggro deck and then sideboarding offers lots of enticing options like disruption in the form of cards like thought seize agonizing remorse uh duress necromentia i mean there's quite a few to choose from we start looking into you know we look ahead to kaladesh joining the joining the format next month and you get a card like uh, what is it called lost legacy as a sideboard option against decks that are very linear like we got access to disruption we got access to recursive threats again looking forward to kaladesh we get scrappy scrounger probably we probably get heart of kirin unlicensed disintegration to go along with them like Mardu vehicles could be a thing but it's going to be even more likely that just plain old Rakdos vehicles are a thing because the mana is smooth Mardu is going to have some, some legs but it's going to be a base white deck not a base red deck because of how the lands shake out you've got the the pathways and the fast lands and the pathways from Zendikar and the fast lands in Kaladesh are black white and red white there is not a red black one so that makes it a little bit more difficult to justify playing you know your your boros splashing black not the other way around not Rakdos splash white but the potential for like a companion swerve where you board from from Luris into Ob from Luris into Obosh or board from and then board it in in game two so that you don't have to play under the companion rule so you can board up your curve a little bit the ability to move up or down your mana curve is another possibility where you start out light and fast and when you board into disruption because you know you're going to have difficulty impacting the board by boarding out the stuff you need to disrupt them you board in a few more powerful cards like boarding into Luris and Bonecrusher Giant as as actual in the deck threats after sideboard in the burn deck. All of this is on the table. And that's what I love about Rakdos Aggro. There's a lot to do with it. But now we're diving into our, our new segment. And this one was, was discussed a little bit on, on the Patreon Pathfinders Discord. And it's going to be a series for a little while. I'm going to be working these in as I can. We're going to be talking about a color pair, what it is from a from a lore and flavor perspective, from the history of magic, what it is, what it does well, what it doesn't do well, and the common decks associated with it. And this week's is Rakdos. So the first question to ask is obviously, what is Rakdos? The color combo is obviously red-black. It was first named by Watsi, Wizards of the Coast, in Dissension in 2006. It was one of the last three guilds to be released in the original Ravnica block. And its guild identity in the lore is a glorification of pain. At its, at its absolute core, you know, what the guild, what the Rakdos, the cult of Rakdos believes. They worship a demon, their guild master, Rakdos. And Rakdos loves misery 
It's a glorification of pain. Indifference or reverence to your own and glee at inflicting it to others. It's a it's a it's an identity in the lore of sadism, masochism, torture, and you know, the sport of pain. They are the entertainers they put on the carnivals. The likelihood of your survival is kind of up in the air when you go to one. But they're there. That's that's, that's what they do, that's what they are on Ravnica. So what does Rakdos do well in game? Not in the lore, in the game. Once the cards are shuffled up, what does Rakdos do well? First and foremost, they've got good threats. Cheap creatures tend to be efficient with a little bit of a drawback. Cards like Diagraph Ghoul or Tutus for one mana that enter the battlefield tapped. Like, that's, that's reasonable. Goblin Guide is a 2-2 Haste for a red that lets your opponent draw through their land pockets. Uh... Gutter Bones enters the battlefield tapped, but in return is a two-power creature that can come back from the graveyard. Similar things for Dread Wanderer, Bloodsoak Champion, creatures of that ilk. You get high-power creatures that can't block, so on and so forth. Mid-game threats are usually a good mix of raw efficiency and value, giving Rakdos Mage a lot to choose from. I.e., you can play cards like Legion Warboss, Goblin Rabble Master, Goblin Chain Whirler, uh, oh, what is it, a Judith the Scourge Diva, uh, Mayhem Devil. There's a lot to choose from in the middle of the game. At three mana, and then at four mana, you get the difference between cards like Rekindling Phoenix, uh, Ravenous Chupacabra. Planeswalkers, Chandra Torch of Defiance, that kind of thing. There's a lot to choose from in building a Rakdos deck, and that's what makes that's what makes Rakdos uh, simultaneously one of the one of the most fun decks to build, but one of the most aggravating decks to build because it's really hard to find an aggregate list because everybody kind of wants to do their own thing with it, and then your late game threats are usually either broken or awful, and there's not much in, in between. Cards like Dracoseth and Gristlebrand exist, but so do cards like, oh, I'm drawing a blank here. I'm drawing like cards like Burning Sun's Avatar or, you know, big splashy six and seven mana threats are hit and miss, very much hit and miss for Rakdos Colors. They're either really good or really bad, and there's not a whole lot of in-between at six mana and up. As far as answers go, you have access to most of the versatile, efficient removal available. Between black kill spells and red burn, you can pretty well take care of stuff on the table. Black can remove nearly any permanent type. Red adds to that by adding the ability to deal with artifacts and the ability to deal with... uh, you know, deal direct damage to Planeswalkers to supplement Black's direct Planeswalker removal. Uh, Black Disruption links arms with efficient removal and threats very well. And the multiple mechanical identities lead them lend themselves well to a host of focused deck archetypes. The weaknesses of Rakdos... They can't... You can't remove enchantments in Rakdos. I know... Farica's Libation and that new card from Zendikar exists. Those are cards you can play. But that doesn't make them good at removing enchantments. You, you have two cards in the history of magic 
in black and red that can remove enchantments without another color. As a dedicated Rakdos Major, also weak to the top of the deck, which is to say it's there's virtually nothing to allow you to interact on the stack with your opponent. And then mechanical identities from the Rakdos color pie are, you're very vulnerable to removal because you're very board dominant. You, you're a lot of the mechanics that you want to use as a Rakdos mage, whether they're printed mechanics or the way the cards are designed, the way they work together, typically have you playing to the board in order to leverage your advantages. In order to leverage what you're wanting to do well, you've got to play to the board really hard for a Rakdos deck to win without attacking at some point in the game. As for those mechanical identities, what are they? First of all, we have the printed keywords. There have been three in the actual Rakdos guild identity. The first was Hellbent, which is cards and effects that get more powerful as you have no cards in hand. There have been other cards printed through the years that kind of piggybacked off of the printed Hellbent mechanic that would trigger when you had one or less cards in hand. But at its core, Hellbent was kind of the original embodiment of the Rakdos philosophy. Get on the board, do it quick, put everything on the table, and see what happens. If you do that, we'll reward you by making your stuff more powerful. And it didn't work out in the original Ravnica, because it, it was a very well-balanced set, and there nothing was particularly powerful. Everything was kind of around the same power level. So by playing, you know, by most of the games being dominated by Fair Magic, it was really difficult to be the deck that was playing Fair Magic but doing it with, with literal no hands available. The second was Unleash in Return to Ravnica. Unleash meaning you could put the creature into play with a plus one, plus one counter, but it would be unable to block. Well, this is everything you want as a Rakdos Mage. I don't care about blocking. I just want to kill you. So, Unleash was a really good mechanic for the Rakdos deck at the time, and it did a really good job of helping bring that deck to the forefront of the format as one of the, the aggro pillars of the RTR standard. And then most recently in uh, Ravnica Allegiance, we got Spectacle. And this was one of the best designed mechanics I've ever gotten to play with. Because... The best spectacle cards are kind of like the best affinity cards are kind of like, I wouldn't even say the best affinity cards are kind of like the best improvised cards. They're kind of like the best, uh, the best prowl cards in Lorwyn. They're cards that you don't mind hard casting. Like red decks would have killed for a divination back in the day. But then we gave them a divination that sometimes costs one mana. As long as you play it post-combat, which is when you want to play your spells anyway if you're a red deck. A card like uh, Rick's Mighty Reveler has been an unsung hero for me in the, the Rakdos Death Whirler deck in Historic. Largely on the basis of the fact that in the middle of the game I can top deck it, declare an attack with my First Strike Menace, chain, first strike menace Death Touch Chain Whirler they're probably not blocking that. You serve in for three. My hand's garbage, so we're just going to go ahead and play Rick's Mighty Reveler, discard my hand, draw three, and we're going to be pretty far ahead. 
But even on the, on the surface, I don't mind playing Rick's Mighty Reveler in the deck because it also feeds into the way the deck is built. Because you can discard Chain Whirler on turn two, cast Call the Death Dweller on turn three, and rip apart a creature. Rip apart a board of creatures. But beyond printed mechanics, there's several repeated themes that have come up over the years for red and black together as a color combination. The first is discard for value. This first really started to come up during Odyssey block with uh, the flashback mechanic. And there were a lot of decks that did this, but red and black kind of got, got some subtle jabs and subtle nods here and there. Cards like Fiery Temper, cards like uh, Cabal Therapy that you could discard for value. Whether it be discarding Fiery Temper to madness it and fire out on a creature, uh, discarding uh, Cabal Therapy, knowing you're going to flash it back later, you know, discarding Lava Dart to flash back later is a really a, a common play line in modern. Even in uh, like the reanimator shells, you're discarding big creatures for value to get them back later and find the cards you need to get them back. Faithless looting got banned in large part because of this identity of discarding cards to generate value. Uh, Aristocrats gives you like morbid the the abilities that trigger when a creature dies. Death triggers like. Judith the Scourge Diva, Midnight Reaper. Uh, so, you know, I've got standard on the brain because I've been playing a lot of it, but, you know, triggers that happen when you either sacrifice something or when something dies or when it, you know, when this dies, make a token so you can maintain your board presence. You've got the group pain aspect of Rakdos where you're hurting everybody, but you're benefiting the most from it. You've got an anti-life gain sub-theme in Reign of Gore, Everlasting Torment, Rampaging for Rasadon. You've got the punishment mechanic or the bully mechanic in cards like Browbeat, Dash Hopes, Bone Crusher Giant, Tectonic Giant, Leyline of Punishment. The mechanic that basically says, either let me do this or you're going to hurt. Either let me do this or I'm going to hurt you. That's, that's what I'm talking about here. And then the common deck archetypes for Rakdos. You've got mid-range built around the disruption and removal. It's probably the most common, but it's also the one nobody can agree on because nobody knows what the correct Rakdos mid-range deck looks like. Like, you could make an argument in Historic right now. The Rakdos Luris deck is really good, but so would be one that's built around playing, like, Rekindling Phoenixes and Glorybringer and just jamming a bunch of removal spells down their throat. Sacrifice shells leveraging powerful payoff cards is another one. We just got done dealing with that in standard. Like Mayhem Devil's a heck of a magic card. Fast aggro leveraging disruption, burn, and a lean mana curve. Or even tribal aggro using appropriate payoffs. Goblins, vampires, pirates, um, minions. I mean, there's the reanimator sub-theme that you see periodically in Red Black Axe, where you've got cards like Tormenting Voice or Faithless Looting that link arms with Zombify, Unburial Rites, uh, Blood for Bones, to a Bond of Revival to just bring back a big powerful thing and smork them in the face with it. Whatever the case may be, there's a lot to choose from in Rakdos, and that's 
it's so underrated in that aspect. Everybody thinks of Rakdos as a color identity, and they're like, oh, well, you're either uh, you're just going to you know put a bunch of stuff on the table and kill somebody. Well, technically, a large percentage of the time, yes. In practicality, not really. There's a lot of different looks at Rakdos. So that's going to wrap up the main topic in the episode for this week. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I hope you've enjoyed uh you got questions, comments, concerns, reach out to me on Twitter. I'm at HomewardPathMTG on Facebook. My name is Adam Spain. Uh, join the conversation in the Facebook group, the Homeward Pathfinders. If you are a patron of the show, at any level you get access to the Patron Pathfinders Discord where we discuss episode topics, where we uh, bounce deck lists and stuff off of each other. And if you're a patron of $3 or more, your deck could be featured as our Brew of the Week. So, you know, keep an eye on that. And that's all I have. I don't have any MTG dad jokes this week. Got a lot of good stories from people, but we don't have any MTG dad jokes this week. So I will leave you as I traditionally do. With the words of Peter Capaldi. We've, the world is a, is horrible right now, we can pretty safely say. Especially here in the U.S. So... Everybody's dealing with it in their own way. Remember, when dealing with other people, never be cruel, never be cowardly. Remember, hate is always foolish and love is always wise. Always try to be nice, but never fail to be kind. So laugh hard, cast red and black spells, and be kind. And we'll catch you next week. Be safe, everybody.